We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to another breakout session from our Brotherhood Summit. This one is with Pastor Lee and Blake, where they talk about training versus trying, and they talk about having a simple daily walk with God that changes everything. So let's tune in and listen to their breakout session. Hey guys, good to see you. All right, just give me real quick. What, did you just come from an awesome workshop? Okay, real quick, I'm just going to call on some people. Where'd you go? Mark Delaney. Mark Delaney. Yeah, I bet that was awesome. It's going to be hard to follow Mark Delaney. Where'd you go, Dean? Oh, awesome. How was that? Man, I'm looking for. I'm getting to lead that Catharos study with Blaine for our church, and I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be good. Who else? Cody, where'd you go? Mark Delaney. Good, man. Are you guys having a good time at the summit? Man, we you know we, we put these things together. It's like, is it going to be good, or is anybody going to show up? Like, we don't know, and it's vastly exceeded all of our expectations, mostly because of you guys being here. Um, everybody know Blake? Blake Zimmerman is, uh, I guess, he, what's your title? You're on our content team, but what's your title? That's what we say about everything. I'm one of the pastors around I'm here. I'm one of the pastors <laughs> around here. That's what we say, and it's true. He is one of the pastors. My LinkedIn here. says one of the pastors around uh, here. Yeah, under, under your name, it's on your business card. What's a business card? Anybody still carry a business card? Okay, a few of you old school guys. I see you. Um, well, listen. This is uh, the title of of our workshop is training versus trying. Yes, training versus trying. I never can get the order right. Training versus trying, and really, what we're going to talk about is how to have a. A simple daily walk with God that, that changes everything. How, how do we draw our life from God? We want to start with this question, though. Have you ever uh, tried to start a new good habit and failed? Anybody? Okay. You know, nobody even raised their hand. They're like, uh, duh, I'm a human, right? Nate, let's, let's hear some. Raise yeah, your hand if you got one that you've tried year after year, but you can't do funny. it. Make some room if there's some room back there. Running? Running. Ooh. Hey, guys. Welcome. Good to see you. Eating healthy. What do you got? Yeah. You, you, you start out with an intention, right? And then you end up just doing what you've always done. So diet, right? That's one. That's one for me. Like, I like to exercise. So I do exercise, but I also like to eat, right? <laughs> And that's the problem. I, 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 can do the, I can do the exercise stuff, but I can't not do the eat stuff. And that's, that's frustrating. What else? What's another New Year's resolution that you, that's on your list every year, which indicates something? House projects without getting frustrated. <laughs> how, to, how to do what? <laughs> what? House projects. House projects without getting frustrated. Yeah, good luck with that, Parker. Uh, staying, staying organized. That's a good one. Well, that's, that's one for me, too. I just kind of quit trying, but um, <laughs> that's good. Any others? Sleep schedule. And man, we're learning so much about sleep. I was listening to the podcast the other day and it's just like how important sleep is. Wish I would have known that 20 years ago, but that's good. What about getting past Leviticus in your Bible reading plan? <laughs> <laughs> hey, brother. 
Okay, how many of you have started a yearly Bible reading plan where you're going to get through the Bible in one year and failed at it? Okay, the same people that said they started it left their hand up. Okay, I, I've, tr- I've started it many times, but not finished it very many times. Um, why is it hard to follow through on a new good habit that we're, we're trying to establish? Why is that difficult? Give me some answers. The late gratification sucks. Okay. <laughs> we're looking he for honesty. He came in ready with that answer. <laughs> I don't know that I'd finished the question yet. We all get that. It does. Class dismissed. Um, why else? Why else is it hard? Parker. Mm. Man, that's, that's good. I heard somebody say distraction. Yeah. We don't like change. Yeah, change is hard. What were you going to say? Um, fear or discomfort. Fear or discomfort. Absolutely true. Any other reasons? Time. Time. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So, Lee, I had something happen to me a few years ago. Uh, those of you that go to Church on the Move know that we do twice a year a 21-day prayer, 21-day challenge season. And the one at the start of the year in January, we pair it with a fast. So we say, choose some type of fast. So there's a, a type of disengagement with the season. You're depriving yourself of something. And this was one of the first times that we did this. I thought, man, I, I feel like I've got a phone problem. Mm. I'm on my phone a lot, specifically social media. I would justify it to my wife by saying, ah, it's, there's a game on. So I, I'm doing you the, the service of not watching the game, but I'm following the game on my phone. Or this is how I get my news. So I got to be on social media. But I just had a problem with it. And so that 21-day challenge, I said, you know what? No social media. I'm giving it up. Anybody try to give up social media one of these seasons? Mm-hmm. So one night, we found ourselves watching TV. It was night five or six of this season. And Sydney looks over at me, and she says, what are you doing? And I was on my phone. And I was like, yeah, what am I doing? I was like, I'm not on social media, but I'm on the IMDb app. I am never <laughs> on the IMDb app. You know, you, you're searching like the Kevin Bacon connections to movies, trying to figure out who's in what. And it hit me that I don't have a social media problem. This problem goes way mm. deeper. I, 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 it's like I have to be connected to this thing like a drug. Mm. And it might not be a phone for you, but what's happened, and particularly with a phone, and I'll just use that as an example because all of us are living in an iPhone age, is that it has, it has quite literally rewired our brains. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this or not, but it has changed since we've been in the age of the internet and then now in the season of the smartphone, our brains have been rewired to where we have a hard time focusing. Anybody remember what it's like to be bored? There's this thing called Mm. boredom that I remember as a kid where you had to find something to do. Now Mm. there's no such thing at boredom. I don't know about you, but I I can never remember a time when I have walked into a coffee shop and seen somebody sitting there with a cup of coffee, with no person to talk to, no book, no phone, just alone in their thoughts. Have you ever seen that rare specimen? It's just, it's a, it's a lost art, but what's yeah. happened is that through something called neuroplasticity, I don't know if there are any fellow nerds out there that know what that term is, but it means that your brain has changed. So early on, you know, scientists believe that when you're around 20 years old, that you were done changing that your template was set, that your preferences were set. Mm. And then scientists debunked that, saying that, yes, you have some templates that you're born with, but then you change. 
Your brain can change by new habits, by new things that you do, like a new bike rut that you will ride over and over again. And so that's what's happened with our brains. But here's the good news. If they've changed once, they can change again. The Apostle Paul was no neuroscientist, or maybe he was. But in Romans 12, too, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Yeah. That there are new things that can happen. If, they, if it's changed once, it can change again. But that means that it's an uphill battle for us. Yes, it is. It is. And, and I'm, that's so cool. I, I had pulled out my phone to look up Romans 12. <laughs> and uh, you just said it, like right when I had my phone out. Uh, that's because Blake knows the word really well. Uh, I, I remember verses and I go, where is that found again, Blake? And he tells me, and, and, I, and I appreciate having him with me. Um, here's the deal. If the phone and our culture has the ability to impact our minds and lead us toward conformity, just like that passage says, the spirit, the word, our relationship with Jesus has the ability to transform us in every facet of our life, really from the heart out. And that's what we want to talk about is exactly what Witt was talking about last night. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does it mean to live my life in relationship with him? The danger walking into a workshop that's going to be talking about spiritual disciplines, maybe, is to think, oh, man, this is hard work. I I, I really got to buckle down and and do it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being in this life-giving relationship. One of my favorite authors, John Eldridge, he had a podcast a while back, and he was talking about our need to draw our life from God. He's even talking about, like, food and sleep and air, like we have been created and designed. We have to run on these things that God has given to us. If we try to just live with no sleep, eventually we just fall asleep. Like he, he, he says this, why didn't God just wind us up with a 70 year energy and we never sleep, right? But no, it, it, you know, every, uh, every day we got to fall into that bed and, and renew We can't go very long without eating. We have to renew. We can't go without air very long. We have to renew. And these are all things God wants us to draw our life from him. And so that's what we're going to talk about. The pattern that most of us are familiar with, though, looks a lot like this. This is from uh, John Ortberg, great author. And this is what the pattern looks like. Anybody familiar with this pattern? Try harder. I mean, get your act together. Jesus died on the cross for you, for heaven's sake. Try harder at being a better guy and reading your Bible. And so we try it. We don't have a very good plan. Blake's going to talk about that in just a second. So we just are like, oh, I'm going to start reading my Bible every morning for an hour. right? And and that gets tiring real fast because we're like, I don't really know what I'm reading and I'm still groggy. And, and, and what's the point of this? And I don't feel like this is life-giving. And so we quit because life happens and the car breaks down and the air conditioner needs to be replaced and just things get busy and we, and we quit. And then what happens when we quit? You loser. Jesus died for you for heaven's sake. You go to church and pastor says something and you're just like, oh, man, I need to double down. I got to buckle down and try harder. And we just live in, in this cycle. And we, talk about, we want to talk about something very different from that. Um, what's nice about this is God has built into the universe things that we understand. And I think our physical body is this illustration of things that God wants to show us in our spiritual life. 
So here's what I mean by that. If I said, now there are some of you in this room that are just studs, like physical stuff is your deal. So you're like in great shape right now. You could go and tackle a lot of, a lot of things. But if we just eliminate you guys that are in the top 5% or whatever of, of the room, the rest of us, if I said, okay, I, I like to climb mountains. If I said, hey, tomorrow morning, meet me here at the church. We're going to go climb a 14er in Colorado. How many of you are going to make that trip? How many are going to make it all the way to the top? Very few of you are going to make it to the top because that requires a long buildup of training. What if I said, hey, when the conference is over today at three, uh, we're all just going to run a quick marathon before we go home. How many of you are going to make that marathon? A couple of you because you're studs and you, here's why a couple of you would make it because you are marathon runners. That's going to matter here in a second. Okay. You'll do it because that's who you are. That's what you do. But the rest of us will just die on mile eight. You know, we'll just be on, on the, on the pavement. <laughs> Tony's like, I won't get out of the parking lot. Right. <laughs> Pick me up with one of those golf carts. Um, because we understand this. Like we understand that some things in life, some of the most important things require more than just trying hard They require some training, steps that we take one after the other, building upon one another in order for us to achieve or accomplish who we want to be or the things that we want to do. Yeah, and intuitively, we really, like, we we understand this. This has happened to you guys, whether you know it or not, and I'll just give you an example from my own life. So I never had a sip of coffee until I was 22 years old. Wow. That's why he looks like Captain America, this guy. (laughs) So my first job out of college was with a company called Otis Elevator Company. Anybody ever heard of Otis? Oh, yeah. You've probably been in one. It's a very up-and-down industry, you know. Um, gotcha. Very bad Jim, elevator You job. got it right off. So my first week on the job, we've got mechanics at Officine with us, and they're making, they're making coffee every morning. It is like a spiritual process for these mechanics. It's old coffee pots, the styrofoam cup coffee. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know what? Like this is what you do when you start at eight to five. Like it's time to be an adult because <laughs> being, getting married getting a real job isn't being an adult. It's when you start to like coffee is when you're an adult. There you go. And so I tried the styrofoam cup stuff and I'm thinking this is the worst taste I've ever put in my mouth. I go into the fridge. I'm looking for all the creamer. They've got all sorts of stuff. I put in enough to make it the color of my skin just so it's drinkable. <laughs> take a drink and I'm like, okay, I can kind of do this. An hour later, I'm on cloud nine. I'm knocking out emails. I'm like, this is amazing. This caffeine thing is unreal. So I think, you know what? It's time to kind of move into phase two. Like Pastor George said this morning, I finished that first phase well Mm -hmm. of the styrofoam cup coffee. Phase two was buying a Keurig. Mm. Mm. Stepping it up. K-cup stepping up. I thought, this is amazing coffee. For a season life, finished that phase well. Then I have a cup of coffee from a place called Starbucks. And I think, oh, man, this is amazing coffee. I finished that phase well. I start to drink double shot Topeka. And I think, I've actually never had coffee until now. This is the first season of having coffee. I have become the type of person that drinks coffee. Yeah. Anybody else that you cannot imagine a morning without coffee? There was a season of life that you did not drink coffee. You have, whether you've known it or not, intentionally or unintentionally, you've become the type of person that drinks coffee, and you will fight tooth and nail to get your coffee. That's right. Um, I want you to talk more about that, because it's not my part yet. (laughs) 
No, no. I can goals talk about are goals, about goals, goals and systems. Yeah. So here's here's another thing that you need to know when it comes to this stuff is that there's a difference between having a goal and having a system yeah. to get to that goal. So we talked about New Year's resolutions. Are those a goal? Are those goals or systems? Goals. Goals. Goals are good. Systems are better. A goal tells you where you want to go. A system is the road to get to that goal. Yeah. So many times we focus on the goal, what we want, but we never design the system to get there. Yeah. And if you think about what discipleship is, what following Jesus is, a lot of us want the life that Jesus lived. We want the ministry results that Jesus had, but we never live the life that Jesus lived to get those things. I can look at your bank account, your credit card statement, your calendar, and tell you what your system is designed around or who your system is designed around. Mm. What we're talking about today, the spiritual disciplines, this, uh, this aligning your life with the lifestyle of Jesus is redesigning the system. That's where, that's where rubber meets the road for so yeah. many of us. Everybody in here wants the result. We want the goal of abiding with Christ, but not a lot of us think about the reorganizing, the adjustment. Again, what Pastor George talked about this morning is so perfect for this. Adjusting the system mm to align with the goal. You think about systems at work, but when it comes to following Jesus, we think all I need is a goal. Yeah. I don't need to adjust the system. I don't need to change the system. One of my favorite quotes comes from Dallas Willard. He says that you're, listen to this, your system is perfectly designed to yield the results that you're getting. Yeah. Think about that. Your system, what you're getting in life, if you're living an anxious lifestyle, your system is designed to give you an anxious lifestyle. Now, that's not to say that there's some underlying things that you, know, you need to take care of with the doctor or other stuff, but for most of us, think about your business, what you do, the results that you're getting, if you're unhappy with the results, what do you immediately think to do? There's something in the system, there's something in the hose that I need to get the kink out of, but when it comes to following Jesus, we rarely think that way. Yeah. We need to reorganize our life around the person of Jesus. I love this quote, and, and we're, we're going to quote a couple things from James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. Uh, James Clear isn't necessarily, I don't know if he's a believer or not. This is not a Christian book, but man, he's got some great wisdom in this book. And, and one of the quotes that Blake put in here that I just love was, Clear said, goals are, a, are good at setting a direction, but systems are best for making progress. So think about that. You do need a goal to set direction but it's the system that will allow you to make progress. He says a handful of problems arise when you spend too much time thinking about your goals and not enough time working on and designing your systems. So think about that as we talk about this abiding relationship with Jesus. It is a relationship and a relationship is by nature and I'm very much wired for relationships. It's like, I don't want to bring systems into a relationship, but it's both. Like the best relationships are built on some systems, often systems of communication, mutual exchange, love. I mean, there are some systems even built into our closest relationships, whether we realize those things or not. Here's one thing that I really just felt like I wanted to reinforce. A couple of, it's been a month ago, maybe, the last time I spoke at uh, at our Tulsa campus when I preached that weekend, some of you may remember this. I, I had this statement. I said, you have a father who deeply loves you no matter what. And that's an easy statement for us just to go, yeah, yeah, I do. God loves me. But I would say, slow down just a second on that. You have a father who deeply loves you no matter what. Now, I know, I know, I know in a room of men like this, not all of us have had an earthly father who treated us that way. 
We felt like we had to perform to earn his love. Some of you didn't even have a father in your life. I know some of us did. I'm one of the lucky few that had a very loving dad and loved my mom, loved me, still those things to this day. But I know most men, lots of men, they didn't have that. They didn't grow up with that. So it's a little hard to just go, yeah, I have a father who loves me no matter what, because we didn't experience that. But what all of us tend to do, even those of us that have had a great relationship with our dad, is we tend to put an if on the end of that statement. It's just kind of human nature and the way we're wired as men to go, I have a father who loves me no matter what, if I can get my act together. I know God's going to love me. He's going to be proud of me if I can get this porn habit under control because I know he's disappointed by that. I know that's not what he wants me to do. I have a father who loves me if I can just start being the kind of husband that I'm supposed to be. And if I could do that, man, he's going to be proud of me. He's going he's to just give his blessings to me if. And all I'm suggesting as we move forward in this discussion about how we abide in Christ is to exchange that if for a so. You have a father who loves you no matter what, so you can overcome that addiction to pornography or alcohol. You have a father who loves you no matter what, so that you can become the husband and the dad that he created you to become, that your family needs. You have a father who loves you so that you can be the man at work, be the man at church, give of yourself. That's the good news, is that you're not having to try hard to get it right for God's love or his approval or, or his being proud of you as a son, it's because he loves you. It's because he approves you because of Jesus. It's because he's proud of you that you can accomplish all of those things. I just, I, I, yeah. I just want to say that. Go ahead, yeah. Blake. Uh, are you done? Yeah. I'm okay, done. cool. So building off of what Lee said, um, there are three things involved in every time that you try to form a new habit. So we've talked about two of these. There's the goal or the outcome. There's the system or the process, and then there's the identity. If we always focus on the goal or we tend to focus on the goal, we sometimes or neglect the process to get there. We never think about the underlying identity underneath those habits. Yeah. James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, he talks about two guys that are trying to quit smoking. Two guys that are trying to quit, quit smoking, they stop on the same day, so say they're a few days in, they're both offered a cigarette. One guy who's offered a cigarette says, ah, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. The other guy says, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. See the difference? The guy who says, no thanks, I'm not a smoker, what is, what is he getting? What's he after? What has he changed? A new identity. Yeah. So he's been without a cigarette the same amount of days that this guy's been without a cigarette, and yet he's already adopted a new identity of not being a smoker. Who do you think has the better shot at sticking with that habit? You will fight. Like I said, how I fought for my identity, or I still fight for my identity as a coffee drinker. You fight for identities. You sometimes fight for outcomes if you have enough willpower. And so as I'm reading this, James Clare calls these identity-based habits. Again, he doesn't link it to the Bible, but I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, if more people knew this, yeah. because whether you know it or not, if you follow Jesus, you have undergone a fundamental change in your identity, a fundamental shift in your identity. Mm -hmm. And the Apostle Paul, uh, over a couple hundred times, I think, in his letters, he talks about this identity using two words. Does anybody know what that is? In 
Christ. That's right. In Christ. An identity change has happened. You be, it's not that you lose your personality or you lose your identity. You find it in the identity of Christ. So another way to explain this is by way of contrast. You may have grown up right now. You think about our, we think about our identity as in our job, mm. in being a dad, in my kids, in being a husband. Those are great things. But then nowadays, our culture has taken it a step further, especially with our kids. Your identity is in yourself. You need to go to yourself to find out who you are. Mm -hmm. I was watching Frozen 2 with my daughter the other day, not alone, although my wife and I did go to the theater by ourselves to see it when it first came out. Shame on you. (laughs) But it didn't didn't hit me until I was watching it with my daughter and thinking about, you know how sometimes you watch stuff with your kids and you're just like seeing what they're absorbing and thinking, oh my gosh. Well, one of the songs that Elsa sings at the end, there's a line that says, you're the one that you've been looking for. It's like, oh, that's (laughs) demonic. Like, what is going on? But our identity is in Christ. And so th- here's, here's how this works. If the smoker thing is what it is, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. Just fundamentally, we don't say, oh, I'm a sinner trying not to sin. Hmm. That's an old identity. Yeah. It's, not that you're not a, it's not that you don't have sin, but you're not fundamentally a sinner anymore. Mm-hmm. You are an in Christ person. So think about reading your Bible. Oh, I'm trying to love my Bible. Identity or outcome focused. I'm trying to love my, I follow, what about, I follow Jesus, so I'm training to read my Bible. My identity has changed, and so I'm training in this new way. I'm practicing what a Jesus person does. Mm -hmm. Let's take a a famous writer, Stephen King, for instance. Mm -hmm. Let's say Stephen King, who is a writer, he's been writing for decades, misses a week of writing. Does he throw his hands up in the air and be like, ah, I'm not a writer anymore? No, he is still a writer. It's his identity. Yeah. You're trying to do a new habit. You miss a couple days. What do you end up doing? Ah, nah. We're still going after an outcome. So yeah. just realize this is the bedrock for all of this stuff. You're able to abide in Christ because you've already been placed in Christ. It's staying put where he put you in the first mm-hmm. place. And I think this is the reality for any man who follows Jesus. In fact, I, I can prove that. Look, look at this passage of Scripture. I have always resonated so much with this passage of Scripture from the Apostle Paul. See if this doesn't feel like you. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. And then this, how how often have you said something like this? Have you felt it? Oh, what a miserable person I am. I've been there. I mean, let's be honest, guys. I've been there. Um when you've, you've had a good long spell and you haven't looked at porn and then you do. You're like, Man, I had a streak going there. It's like two months. I didn't, I didn't even touch it. I, didn't, I, I resisted it. And then, and then you're there and you've looked at it and what that leads to and you're just like, what a terrible person I am. You know what that's like. And Paul is even saying, I know what that's like. Who in the world will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then here's the identity thing that that Paul wants us to see. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer is in him. We are now in him. 
And so even though in our sinful nature, he talks about, this is what we struggle with. This is what we feel. That's a part of being human. Even Paul said he wrestled with it. But in Christ, I've been given a new identity. I don't have to just keep fighting it on these terms. Oh, what a miserable person I am. What Paul is saying and what we can say today is, thank God there's an answer for this. That now our identity has changed. We have been made the righteousness of Jesus. Man, I, I love that passage because we all relate to it. And then, and then this one, which I think this, this harkens back to what I said about our understanding of sports, of athletics. Paul gives us that picture as, as men, and we're going to kind of transition into some practical things here in a second. But look at this. Don't you realize in the race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Like, we get that. All athletes are disciplined in their training, we understand that. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing or, or going through the motions. I, I discipline myself, my body, like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And so we want to kind of transition to talking about what are these spiritual disciplines and how do we engage with them in a way that's, that's manageable, that we, that we really can do, it could be a part of our, of our everyday life. Blake, we were talking yeah. about three different kind of types of people that approach these disciplines. Yeah, so type one, and try to kind of picture where you're at in this. We have those that have tried this and failed. Second, we have those that don't understand what they are. Maybe you've never been taught about what the spiritual disciplines are. And then third, we have those that simply haven't tried. Mm-hmm. Simply haven't tried. And so it's important. So I grew up not really, I didn't really understand what the spiritual disciplines were. I grew up in an environment where we talked a lot about works righteousness. And we don't want to be legalists. We don't want to be like those Pharisees. We don't want to earn our way to God. And so I kind of lumped the spiritual disciplines into that category. Like if I got too ritualistic about checking off the box, oh, then I need to, I need to step away. Mm-hmm. And I want to help you reframe this a little bit. Spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. They're not ends in and of themselves. The Pharisees knew their Bibles really well. Yeah. They knew their Bible. The demons know what the word of God says. But Jesus seemed to say, no, you're getting it wrong when you're recognizing it as an end. It's a means to me. Fasting, prayer, silence, and solitude, all of this stuff is a means to fellowship with Jesus. It's a means to abiding in Christ. And we're, f- we're fueled in doing that by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Here's how we typically understand the grace of God. Grace uh, is the word charis in Greek. It literally means gift. A lot of us think about the grace of God as a gift that is like an antique collectible. Always oh, say, thank you for handing it to me, God. I'll go and put it on this shelf so we can just look at it. When in reality, it's the type of gift that's like a bicycle as a kid or rollerblades that you're strapping on, or stuff that you're using. Guys, grace is the fuel for the tank. Grace, it never runs out. It's new every morning. Do you know what that means? It means that that's how we're going to live our lives. Grace is not meant to be set on a shelf to kind of look at, say, thank you for my salvation. That's a part of it. But grace is fuel for the journey in the Christian life as we're doing these spiritual disciplines. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's not opposed to effort. Ever heard that verse, work out your salvation, and thought, I don't really know what to do with that. Yeah. Salvation is a way of life. Mm-hmm. It's a way of life, and grace is fuel for that life. It is. Talk about intimacy with God yes. and obedience. 
this is another key thing, that intimacy with God is directly connected to obedience to God. Mm-hmm. Intimacy with God cannot be found apart from obedience to God. Right. Th- th- those of you that are married in the room, think about a week that you've got with, a sp- with your spouse. And you decide, you know, just not to talk to your spouse that week. You go to dinner, you, you put your headphones on, you got kids at the table, you make your wife do all that stuff, you don't take her on a date. But then Friday night comes around, you're like, hey, babe, do you want to like, uh, you know, go to the bedroom? And What is she going to say to that? <laughs> no. Yeah, right. Intimacy with your spouse is directly connected to time with your spouse. Yeah. spouse. Intimacy with God is connected to your obedience to God. Mm-hmm. So last night, John 15, when Witt's talking about abiding in Christ, one chapter prior, Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commandments. Ah, that doesn't sound like love. Right. Uh, That that sounds like legalism. This is how any relationship works. Intimacy with God is directly connected to obedience to God. Mm -hmm. And I just want to, I want to sit on that because we didn't talk about this last time. So you guys are getting some extra stuff in this workshop. Um, That verse in John 15, it, it depends on how we look at it. Because you can interpret that as, if you love me... You'll keep my commandments. You can look at it like that. If you really love me, Aaron, you'll get this right. Or we can look at it this way. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. If we're in this relationship, this close relationship where, where you want the same things that I want, don't worry about it. You'll live out. You'll, you'll keep my commands. And, and how we read that really matters right? Jesus is inviting us into this loving relationship. And through that, the spirit enables us to care about the things of God and to, and to live those out if our focus is on him. And so how do we keep our focus on him? Here, here's, a, here's a list of some things. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. Don't write down all these things and go, okay, starting Monday. All these need to be in operation by tomorrow yes. at 9 a.m.? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check all these off. No, no, no. These are just general categories and some options under these, but this is not a complete list. But really, the disciplines do kind of fall into these two categories. There's the categories of, of disengagement that help us enrich our intimacy with Jesus and engagement. I mean, just to pull a couple of these out, and Blake, I'd love for you to talk about those first two, because I know those have been meaningful to you, but, but solitude and silence, slowing down. Man, what you said, what's your name again? Justice, Justice man. What Justice said about being busy... I was telling the last workshop, people ask me, Lee, how you doing, man? What's going on? And far too often, I feel like I'd be lying, and I don't really want to lie. So I try to tell the truth, and it's always some form of, man, been really busy. (laughs) A lot of stuff going on right now. Really busy. And I I do that every day, and I just get to where I, I, I almost have hold myself in contempt. I just get mad at myself. Because who controls how busy I am? I do. And yet, week after week, month after month, people are like, how's it going? I'm like, oh, really busy. I'm just like, I don't even want to say it again. But if I say something else, I'm going to be lying. I just get so frustrated with that, Justice. And I think all of us can feel that. When you are living like that, these disengagement pieces are really hard to find time for. Blake, how have you done that, man? Yeah, so connected to that story about the 21-day challenge and my phone, um, I could just tell that I had a lot of low-grade anxiety in my life, and I couldn't quite trace it to the source. 
So I don't know if you've experienced this, but it felt like my day was a little bit like playing whack-a-mole with my emotions. Like, oh, that pops up. Got to deal with that. Got to deal with that. Got to deal with that. The thing about whack-a-mole is that you never actually figure out what is going on. And so I was reading some stuff and hearing about silence and solitude and sounded weird. And I thought, that's not productive. Like, I, I, need, to, I need to do stuff. Mm. And, and so last night when Witt's talking about the ways we relate to God, life for God, man, I was sucked into that. I don't know about you guys, but that's the one for me. I feel like I'll just, I'll just sit in that if I'm not careful. And so I started to think about this and practice it. And it was really uncomfortable when I started. Because you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to like say the right prayer to kick off silence and solitude. I wanted to have a verse there. I was still trying to be productive for God. Yeah. I was still trying to earn that special favor in that moment. When in reality, these two things... If you guys are having trouble believing that identity that we talked about, believing that that's true of you, silence and solitude is a way to live and experience your identity as a son mm-hmm. that doesn't have to do anything to earn your father's favor. It's a way of letting him love you. It sounds weird where guys, oh, let God love me. That's the basis for all discipleship Yeah, is experiencing and receiving the love of the father. Peter, Jesus is washing his feet like, ah, you can't do this. What does Jesus tell him? He straight up rebukes him. It's like, if you don't let me love you as the starting point for this, then you're not going to have anything. So for me, it became a way to experience my identity. Maybe some of you guys need to start doing that. Yeah. Talk about wasting time. That's what you do as friends. You guys remember your best friend growing up? Do you have to talk all the time? I remember some meals with my friend that we'd go and we wouldn't say a single word throughout the throughout dinner. People that would witness would probably think it's weird, but that's what friends do. You waste time together. And so with God, you don't always have to, how many of you, you read Paul say, pray without ceasing. And you imagine, first off, how? How is that even possible? But then we think that prayer is always with words. Prayer is not always with words. Prayer is wasting time with God, spending company with God. If you expand your horizons on prayer that way, Mm -hmm. then your whole day can be a day of prayer. Jesus, you're in the the seat with me as I'm driving. Sometimes I'm a podcast guy. I'll get a nudge from the Spirit that's just like, don't listen to a podcast this drive. Just be silent. Be okay with Jesus co-pilot with you, just driving together, just wasting time together. It's a way of abiding. Yeah. You know, the this side of the list is pulling back, pulling away. Just to, just to highlight a couple of others, frugality. Has anybody seen the Netflix documentary Minimalism? You seen that? Not very many people. I would highly suggest you watch. It's just about two guys. It's not a Christian documentary. It's just about these two guys that started asking the question, do we really need all this stuff? I was really challenged by this. I was like, man, he's like, we've got these... 3,000 square foot houses and these giant garages and these attics and it's just all full of stuff that we've just acquired and accumulated and that requires some level of mental real estate to manage all that and make sure it's all taken care of and, and, and covered and the doors are locked and we got the security system. He says, these guys just asked the question, what if we just reduced it down to just the things that we need? What would life be like if we just rejected that consumerism? Man, I was challenged by that. I went and cleaned out my closet that night. Like, it, it's a good exercise to say, what do I really need? Chastity is just talking about our faithfulness, particularly around sexuality. Am I being faithful with my relationship with my wife, with what I'm consuming on the internet or on the television? Um, 
can we pull away from those things that chip away at our at our soul? The, the right side is the things that we step toward. If the left side is things that we kind of step away from to be with God, the, the right side is the things that we step toward. And those are sometimes more understandable for us. I'll just pull out the third one there, service. You know, Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. If we're going to be obedient to, the, to our leader, to our Lord, to our master, it's going to have to reflect service. So I, I'd like you to think about that for a second. Where am I serving? And I see some of you, Ty's over there, like Ty's serving with brotherhood. Like he's a, he's a key brotherhood servant. Some of the rest of you are in here too. Like you're there early for the breakfast on Friday morning and you're, you're serving other men. But if you're not, if you don't have an area in the church with your family where you're actively doing things that don't benefit you, they benefit other people, you got to have that as a part of your spiritual discipline. And, and we understand a lot of those. Other, any, of the, yep. any of the others you'd highlight, Blake? Um, I would just say sometimes it depends on season of life. Yeah. If you guys feel like you have been plugged in, engaged this spring with kids sports, all this stuff, then maybe as you're looking towards the summer, pick one of these. Mm-hmm. If you've never tried Silence and Solitude before, just pick it. So we're going to give you guys some time at the end. Just kind of think about one or two that you want to do. Mm-hmm. But regardless of which ones you choose... This is going to require focus yeah. and diligence, as Pastor was talking about this morning. So you want to put that next yeah. verse up? I was reading this verse. I've read it a million times, but this past year I read it and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I thought, whatever this means, I want to, re- I want to orient my life around doing this. And we all who with unveiled faces, so that's a reference to how humanity before the new covenant relates to God. You've got to have something in between you and God contemplate. So this is the phrase that caught my attention. Contemplate the Lord's glory. Mm. Contemplate the Lord's glory. Other translations will say, behold the Lord's glory or gaze at the Lord's glory. Now, are we in the 21st century good contemplators? No. Are we good beholders? Are we good gazers? I was at a museum with Sydney. We were on our way to Big Cedar, and we stopped by Crystal Bridges Art Museum in northwest Arkansas. You know, I, I don't know about you guys. I want to be the type of person that likes museums. I think that'd be something sophisticated for a man to say that they enjoy time in a museum. But I experience it just like this. Walk in front of a painting. Oh, that's cool. There's some yellow there, some lines there. Let's go, let's go to the next one. But then I'll see some people at these museums. I don't know what type of specimen they are, what is in their DNA, but they will stare at that same painting I spent 10 seconds at for 30 minutes. I'm like, I don't know what you're seeing. (laughs) But then I'm thinking like, I feel like you're tapping into something. Whether you follow Jesus or not, that person's set up to succeed because they know how to do this. They know how to contemplate. And you know what the Lord's glory is, according to scripture? Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. So let's just kind of paraphrase this together. And we all who with unveiled faces waste time with, gaze with, gaze at, behold Jesus. Hmm. That's the means to an end. It's kind of wrapping back to what we talked about at the beginning. If we don't know how to do this, focus as we're doing these spiritual disciplines. This is what it's about. And as we do so, you become more like him. One degree, one degree of glory to the next. Yeah, the only artwork that I've ever stared at like that is that digital stuff where there's something hidden in it. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, 
Well, you got to squint your eyes a certain way. Oh, there's a dinosaur. I lost it. It's gone. That, yeah, I get it. But what came to my mind on this contemplate idea was about five years ago, I think about five years ago, uh, Chris Munch, a lot of you guys know who Chris Munch is. He uh, was on a mountain men trip with me, and he had never been to the mountains before. Like He had seen them from like the highway, but he had never been up in the mountains. Now, we go to an area every year that that I'm really familiar with. Like I, I know this area. I've been going there since I was 16 years old. And uh, so I, I know the area, and I still love it. I still think it's beautiful. But the the trek from the bay, from the uh, where we parked our cars at the trailhead up to base camp, I, I got to walk with Chris like that whole way, and it took us way longer than it should have. And here's why: not because Chris wasn't in shape and ready to go, but because all along the way, Chris was slowing down and stopping. He was like, "Oh man, Lee, did you did you see that stream? Look at that stream right there." Look how clear that water is. Oh, man, it's so cold. That's beautiful. That's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. We go a little further, and we go over a rise, and we're like, oh, my gosh, is, is that Crestone? That was the big mountain we were climbing. I'm like, nope, that's not even close. That's, that's tiny compared to Crestone. He's like, oh, man. He's just standing there just gazing. Man, look at the rock. Look at the way it looks like it fell off. Man, that's beautiful. That's incredible. And you know what happened to me? I slowed down, too. And I started seeing it through his eyes, like I was seeing it for the first time. I started to notice things on a path that I've walked many, many times. The beauty of where we were and what we were doing. That's what this verse is talking about. Many of us feel like, man, we know Jesus. We've been, we've been learning about Jesus ever since Sunday school. When we were little kids at church, right? A lot of us feel that way. Maybe you didn't even grow up in church, but you're like, I got a pretty good idea of who Jesus was. He died on the cross. He rose again. And this is an invitation to slow down to behold Jesus, to let him give us life in the everyday moment. That, that's, that's what this is, is talking about. So we're going to get super practical here, and then we'll open up for questions. Yeah. There are four things, four things you need to identify. So one, we want you to pick one of these practices, one of these disciplines, either to keep doing or to start for the first time. So you're going to pick a discipline. You're going to pick the duration of time that you're going to do that discipline. So the discipline, the duration of time, and then the time of day that you're going to do it. And then the place you're going to do it. So James Clear says this. He says, many people think they lack motivation when what they really lack is clarity. This is us getting some clarity. I don't care how motivated you are. I care about how clear you are about what you want to accomplish. Discipline, duration of time, time of day, and place. Spend some time today. Maybe you already know what that is, but get super, super specific and make it ridiculously small. If you're starting silence and solitude, please do not choose two hours. You are setting yourself up for a massive failure of that that trying cycle. You're going to feel guilt. Do three minutes. I'm not even kidding. Make it ridiculously small. Fail, Fail proof. If you're reading your Bible, make it three verses. Build momentum as you're doing this. Make it super, super small. Super, super small. Um, anything you want to add to that? No, but I want to say this. We are trying to change that cycle. You remember the first yep. cycle? Try harder. Get tired. Quit. Feel guilty. Start over, you loser. Right? That's, that's our cycle, most of us. Here's what we're offering as, a, as an alternative to that. Check this out. 
practice what you just wrote down. Just practice it. Start ridiculously small, like Blake said. Something that's fail-proof. That's going to lead to growth. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we grow in Him. That's a promise that He offers us. And that's going to lead to us developing strength and confidence as men of God. And ultimately, that leads us to joy. I find it interesting that when Paul is talking about the fruit that is born from a life that is in the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, do you know the first two that he lists? He lists nine, but the first two are love and joy. Now, be honest with yourself. The people at work, the people that live in your home, if somebody said, hey, what's the biggest thing about your dad? What's the biggest thing about your boss, right? And they're talking about you. Would they say, oh, man, just loving and he's just always filled with joy. Is that what they'd say? Not always for me. But these are the things that the life that walks with the Spirit produces. We want to be men that wherever we go, and some of you have heard me say this. I think it's very clear in Scripture. Wherever we go, when we walk into a room, the people in that room say, oh, good, Ryland's here. Things always get better when Ryland's here, right? That's what Jesus did. It said that wherever he went in the towns and villages, he brought good news. He was good news. And he healed and touched those that were hurting and demon-possessed. Do you look like Jesus when you go places where people go, oh, good, Judah's here. Things get better when Judah's here. And we notice people, this is the cycle that we want to be producing. And walking with Jesus allows us to do that. Yep. We got about 12 minutes for questions. So any questions you guys have, this could be as high level as you're just really frustrated and you need to process with some guys. It could be as detailed as what book of the Bible do I start with? So I'll hand over here first. Yep. So to me, it looks like using my imagination when I pray. Mm. Now this could sound really weird to some of you guys, but what I've found is that a lot of us have a I'll use this word, a perverted view of Jesus because we imagine him like scowling at us. When he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he's got a finger in our face instead of like a, an excited anticipation. Hmm. And so you, I'll try to use my imagination in worship. I'll, picture, I'll try to picture a throne as we're worshiping. Like I said, in my car, sometimes I like to imagine that Jesus is right there. And to me, this can sound weird because we can't, we can't see him. Like, we are weird people, guys. Let's just get it out there. We believe in a God that we can't see. We believe a dead dude rose from the grave. It's, enti- it's time to embrace our weirdness. So I will try to visualize Jesus. If he, is more, if he is ultimate reality, more real than this stool, more real than this ground, then I want to try to picture doing life with him. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, I would, I would say... Um, you don't want to use too many crutches, okay? You don't want to be pursuing something if what you really need is disengagement, but there are certain places or experiences that help us behold Jesus more based on how we're wired. What is it, the book, Aaron? Is it Sacred Pathways? Is that the book that I'm thinking of, Blake? Where, where There's like a lot of different ways that, for me, it's nature, so like I need to go out sometimes and and walk around the pond that's out here just just to smell the grass and to look at the water and putting myself in that spot 
helps me to begin to see Jesus more clearly. So for some people, it's listening to worship music. Maybe it's reading something really meaningful to you. There's a lot of different ways that God's wired us to connect with Him. And, and I don't think what I meant when I said, the first thing I said is, we don't just run to those things that kind of fill our tank. We're looking to run to Jesus. But there, but there are some things the way you're wired. Maybe it's being in a tree stand, or maybe it's you know going skiing, or like whatever it is that you say, this is a place where I can see Jesus more clearly. And I think we ought to be attuned to those things. 